I like to share with you because it's Valentine's. I want to share with you, those of you who love uh, poetry. I don't know if uh, some of the younger people have grown up with this. Sonnet 43 by Elizabeth Barrett Browning. How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. Why don't we recite this? How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. I love thee to the depth and breadth and height my soul can reach. When feeling out of sight for the ends of being an ideal grace. I love thee to the levels of every day's most quiet need by sun and candlelight. I love thee freely as men strive for right. I love thee purely as they turn from praise. I love thee with the passion put to use in my old griefs and with my childhood's faith. I love thee with a love I seem to lose with my lost saints. I love thee with the breath, smiles, tears of all my love. And if God choose, I shall but love thee better after death. Those were the kinds of poems and sonnets that people used to write. And people used to make music of. Today, uh-huh. 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 <laughs> what? <laughs> That's it. But look at the beauty of poetry. You know, those of you who love literature, compare that to the then and to the now. Man. Well, I've come up with my own sonnet. My own title. It start, this sonnet starts with, how do I love thee? Let me count the ways. Right? So I have entitled my message this morning as, How should you love me? Let me count the ways. How should you love me? Let me count the ways. How should we love God? Like this. What's that? The Ten Commandments. There's a joke about these two tablets. When Moses came down from the mountain, he had such a headache, he took two tablets. <laughs> what are these two tablets? What do they contain? They contain the Ten Commandments. Let's read this. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor thy father and thy mother. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet. Why is this important? In relation to the topic, how should you love me? Let me count the ways. God has given us basically 10 commands to express our love for Him. Do you remember when God gave these commandments to the Israelites? He gave these commandments after He had set them free, after they had delivered them from slavery in the land of Egypt, not before. What does that mean? God did not put this as a requirement to their Freedom. God set them free. And now that because they were free and they were going to a land of milk and honey, the land of the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, and the Termites, God gave them, now that you're going into this land, these are your guidelines. This is how you're going to live. Because by following this, this sets you apart from the other peoples. This also allows you to be a good testimony to the people that you will be encountering. And I purposely skip the second one because the obedience to the Ten Commandments really is an expression of our love for God. Because in John 14, 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commands. So our obedience to the Ten Commandments is really an expression of our love back to God. God says, how should you love me? Let me count the ways. There are ten. But in the New Testament, Jesus brought it down to just two. 
Shall we all stand and read just these few verses from the book of Matthew? Matthew 22. Shall we all read? But... One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Let's pray. God Almighty, we thank you for your law. The law that when we follow it is really an expression of our love back to you. Thank you for your con unconditional love for us. And I pray that through the empowerment of your Holy Spirit, we will be encouraged to love you back and express our love to you in obedience. Father, be pleased to speak to us, to meet us at our every need, at every level of our walk with you, Lord. I humbly come before you, confessing before you and your people, that I am not able to deliver your word apart from your Holy Spirit. Fill us, Lord, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. Grant us wisdom and understanding that we may obey your word in our lives. For this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees. Now, who are the Sadducees? Last week, I shared with you about who the scribes were. The scribes were those who wrote the Bible. They had to sing out the words that they were going to write. And every time, do you remember? Every time they countered or they had to write the word Jehovah, which means God, they had to clean the pen and they had to bathe themselves in running water. I cannot imagine how much of a Nawasa bill they would have. How many times does the name of God appear in the Bible and every time they have to write the name, they have to take a bath? Some of us take a bath only when we are told by our parents to take a bath. They had to do it every time they encountered the name Jehovah. Every time they encountered the name of God, they had to take a bath to show reverence for the name of God. Now, these, were, these Sadducees, do not believe in the afterlife. Some other preachers explain it this way. You see, they do not believe that there's the afterlife. So when you die, that's it. They were sad, you see. But they do not believe that there is the resurrection. Now, when the other people saw this, when the Pharisees in particular saw this, that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, Another one of them, a lawyer, came to Jesus to what? To test him. They, you have those encounters. People ask you just to test you. They're not really looking for an answer. It's basically a setup. Right? So Jesus Christ was being set up. So this was the setup. Which, of the great, which is the greatest commandment in the law? How many did I just show you? In the Old Testament, in Exodus and Deuteronomy, there were basically ten. Right? So which of the commandments is the greatest commandment? Remember, it's a trap. Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Have you ever encountered a leader whose number one commandment to you, I command you to love me. I command you to love me. Many leaders, they command you to do something so that they will get something in return. But God commands His people. My first and foremost command is that you love me. You love me above everything and everyone else. You shall love me with all your, with all your, with all your, 
Is anyone here capable? No. Not completely. God says, love me with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your mind. God expects us to love Him above all else. And the second is like it, He said. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend the whole law. If you follow the pattern, we cannot love other people unless we love God first. We have to deal with the vertical before we are able to deal with the horizontal. And what does that drawing look like? God to man, man to other men. On these two commands rest the whole law and the prophets. If you recall the Ten Commandments, what's the first? You shall have no other gods before me. What is the second? You will not have any graven images. What is the third? Do not use the name of the Lord your God in vain. What is the fourth? Observe the Sabbath to keep it holy. Those four are directed to whom? To God. The first two, idolatry is really adultery. The second two, revere the name of God, keep it holy, and recognize that the Sabbath day is a holy day. Why did God give it? So that you and I can rest. Another, ching! God wants me to love Him, and He commands me to rest. This is the kind of boss I like. His command tells me he wants me to love him. He commands me to take a break. What a God. Now, these basically are the first four. And they deal with God. How about the rest? Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you that your days may be prolonged and that it may go well with you on the land which the Lord God gives you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or female servant, his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. What do the last six commands have to do with? They deal with everyone else. First four deals with your relationship with God. The last six deals with your relationship with your fellow man. Which is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. The second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two laws depend the rest of the law and the prophets. So my dilemma is how to love God first. If I have resolved the I am issue, then it is very easy to apply the you shall. If I have recognized God as my God, then I will be able to lovingly obey what he commands me to do. I establish the I am or who you are God, and I establish that I am to be your follower Therefore, I will obey whatever you ask me. Because you are, I shall. Are we understanding each other? So, based on this, we ask ourselves again, how should you love me, God asks? Let me count the ways. So we'll continue. First four, we've done with the first four. We show, that deals with God. The last six, we're not going to finish today. We'll take some. All right? Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, that your days may be prolonged, and that it may go well with you in the land which the Lord God gives you. Remember, God gave these commands. I give you these commands today so that you may live long in the land, the land of milk and honey, the land that you are going in to possess. So the purpose of God giving the law to his people was if they followed the law, 
they would live long and that they would enjoy the blessing that God has given them in this new and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. What is the Bible telling us? The very, very first command that deals with other people is in what context? In the, in the family. This is where your relationships are really tested. Yes? You can be a certain kind of person in the office. When you go home, you're a different person. You can be as patient as a rose in the office. When you come home, you're the makahiya. You know the makahiya to our foreign guests? It is a plant. You step on it. You can be so gentle in the office. You can be the monster when you come at home. You can be so talkative in the office. You can be so silent at home. You can be so long-suffering. Anyone can say anything to you. You take it. Oh, yes, thank you. I appreciate that. When you hear the same thing, in the, you're very judgmental. Why do you say that? The true test many times of our walk with God is in our family relationships. And the very first thing God tells us, what? See, the children don't want to read. I wonder why. What's the very first thing? Honor your father and your mother. Why? The Lord has commanded this to you. Why? So that your days may be prolonged and it may go well with you in the land which the Lord your God gives you. So what is the command to the children? Children, honor your father and your mother. So who are you to honor? Both your father and your mother. Children are laughing over here. I wonder why. Honor your parents. Right? Yes! Yes! If you have good parents. If you have people who love you. But what if your parents are not so loving? What if your parents are distant? What if your parents don't really care about your day-to-day -day activities? Do you see that in the verse? Is there any qualification? Is there any distinction? Well, that only applies to those who have good parents. No, it does not. It applies to all. Whether your children are worthy of honor, whether your parents are worthy of honor or not, God's command to the children is for the children to honor the parents. Mm -hmm. <laughs> At the back, it's like this. You will not see the lips moving. Children, you're supposed to honor your parents. This is the basic fabric of society, the family. And this is many, many times where our relationships are tested. And the parents are saying, yes, they're supposed to honor me. But how will they, how will they learn what it means to honor? Well, there's a flip side. Ephesians chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Oh, hoy. I thought it's just honor. Now it's honor and obey. Uh oh, this is not going well for me. To obey, very easy. We all understand what it means, right? But to honor... To honor your father is being respectful in word, in action. It is having an inward attitude of esteem towards their position. It does not qualify whether our, our parents are worthy of this honor. Even if, this, if they are worthy of disobedience, God commands children to honor their parents. Why? This is the first commandment with the promise. What is the promise? So that it may go well with you 
and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Many of us, we want long life. So what do we do? We order noodles. Why? Noodles, long life. Don't cut the noodles. You have to twirl it. That's not the key to having a long life. The key to having a long life as a child is for children to honor and obey their parents. Amen? Amen. Those were the parents. <laughs> Why? Why in the world? What in the world does it have to do? I obey my parents. Why, does it, why is it connected to having a long life? Well, very easy. Exodus 21. He who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Ah. Why are you looking at me that way, children? Have you ever struck your parent? Oh, pastor, I have not struck my parent. Okay? He who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. In the book of Leviticus, they expanded the Ten Commandments. They expanded it. And these are one of the expansions. They interpreted the commandments. They expanded it. He who strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. He who curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. I know it doesn't happen here. Maybe in some other families. God, why did you give me these parents? You just don't know. Your parents maybe are saying the same thing. God, why did you give me these children? <laughs> we cannot choose our parents much as we parents cannot choose our children. Yes? Unless you go to the adoption agency, you can't. God tells us, honor your father and your mother. For this is the first commandment with the promise that you may live long in the land. And our children don't strike us. Our children don't curse us. Many are just, alam mo, they're just a bit hard-headed. They're disobedient. Look at Deuteronomy 21. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey his father or his mother, and when they chastise him, he will not even listen to them, then his father and mother shall seize him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gateway of his hometown. They shall say to the elders of this city, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and drunkard. So what's the scenario? The parents have probably done everything humanly possible for their children to obey them. They've basically given up. They've done everything. And they have decided to bring this son, in this scenario, before the elders and to tell them what's going on. They basically just raised their hands up. We've given up. He is a drunkard. He is a glutton. What are they supposed to do? Then the men of his city shall stone him to death. So you shall remove the evil from your midst, and all Israel will hear of it and fear. You know, I just praise God that God does not deal with us this way anymore. That we are in the New Testament era. That we are no longer under the law, but we are under grace. But this is the basic root. As parents, we want to steer our children the right way, the right path. Yes, parents? Some of them will listen, some of them won't. And you can only, I can only do so much. I was in Rome with my wife before we stayed with uh, my brother and his friend. His friend had cancer. Uh, we were out to dinner. And we, he got to ask me about my children. He said, uh, Insong, uh, Lawrence, does he already have a girlfriend? Uh, I said, no. Uh, we have an agreement that he can only have a girlfriend after he's finished college. 
Well, how do you know? I said, I don't. Because when they go out of the door of my house, I really don't know what they do. But I just trust that I have invested or built into his life so much that when he goes outside, when he goes to the world, he will have enough information to make a good judgment decision. That's it. What can I do? If you are a helicopter parent, you're going to be frustrated. Bzzz, what are you doing? Where are you going? When are you coming back? Where are you leaving? Do you have money? Do you have money? Who are you going out with? You can only do so much. But parents, if we are able to grip the hearts of our children, wherever they go, Lord willing, they will know the right thing to do. We can only do so much. Children, honor your father and your mother. For this is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. God is a God of rewards. We don't go to God because of the reward. We go to God because we love him. But in the process, he also rewards us. He also blesses us. And look at this verse in Jeremiah. Then Jeremiah said to the house of the Rechabites, ito naman yung mga bites. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because you have obeyed the command of Jonadab, your father, kept all his commands, and done according to all he commanded you, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall not lack a man to stand before me always. Is there blessing to obedience? Is there blessing to honor? God will honor your commitment to obey and honor your parents. We are old. Just because I am married, I have children, I now have a daughter-in-law, it doesn't mean that I no longer have to honor my parents. It does not give me the right to disrespect their memory. Both my parents are dead. I still honor them. How can a man honor his father? Look at this. Grandchildren are the crown of old men and the glory of sons is there. My father worked under President Marcos. He resigned. He doesn't talk much. So I asked him, why did you quit? He said, in song, if I stayed on, they were going to change how things were going to be run. If I stay, people will say I'm a crook, even if I don't steal. If I stay, I might be tempted to steal. So I resigned. My father has a picture with Gener uh, President Lyndon B. Johnson. He has a picture with President Diosdado Macapagal. He has a picture with President Nixon. He has a picture with President Marcos. But because my father is a man of integrity, he turned his back on that. I honor his memory. I strive to be a man of integrity. My word is my bond. I will not put myself and the reputation of our family's name in jeopardy. And that's honoring my father, even if he's no longer with us. In Ephesians, it speaks to the parents. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So it works both ways. Children, honor your father and mother. While Ephesians 6 speaks primarily to fathers, it also means to the parents. God will always hold the father of the family accountable. But this, as well as other parts of Scripture, speak directly to the father 
but it doesn't set the mother aside. Parents, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Well, I don't provoke my children. Well, ask them. They're the gauge. We can provoke them in many ways. Double standard. Telling them to do things that we ourselves don't do. Giving into one, not giving into the other. Favoring one, not favoring the other. Many things we are guilty of as parents. And the Bible tells us, don't provoke them to anger. In other translations, do not discourage them. Don't provoke them. But instead of provoking them, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Many of us do not like to discipline our children. I, you know, when my father and mother raised me, they did not put a belt to my body, they did not discipline me, then etc., etc. Because we, we equate discipline with pain. Yes, of course, there is pain involved. But then the book of Hebrews tells us that God disciplines those He loves. And He chastises those who really are His children. If you really love your children, parents, you have to discipline them. You have to set them straight. And so that it does not become uh, subjective, what is the Bible telling us? Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So when we discipline our children, when we talk to them, hey, you know what? When you, you don't follow me, you're not really following God. Why? Because God told you to follow me. So when you don't follow me, when you disobey me, you are actually disobeying God. People in Manila have asked me about my one and only daughter. Wow, you have one and only daughter, cute. She's, I think she's spoiled. Oh, no problem. Ask her. She gets the same discipline as her brothers do. If any of our children need discipline, discipline will come. They are disciplined differently because they're aged differently. Now that they're all grown up, it's no longer a discipline, but it's now trying to speak to them as adults. Hey, son, you said you wanted to do this, you wanted to do that. Have you considered this? Have you considered that? If I were you, this is the way you should go. Why? Bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. I have to bring them first to God. That's why I shared the gospel with each of my three children. At about age 8, 8 to 10, thereabouts. What a privilege I have to bring them to the Lord. So that as they follow God and as we the parents follow God, we all grow towards the same direction. When we, we discuss things and then when I make a decision, they know well enough to abide by that decision. We discuss, we debate, we argue. But when the decisions are made, that's final. Everybody toes the line. When the decision is made, we don't change it because that will provoke them to anger. That will discourage them. So we have to be consistent in our discipline. We have to be consistent in our instruction, which is based on the Word of God. So they have to see us so that they will learn to obey us and honor us and obeying and honoring us doesn't become a task. It doesn't become a burden to them. It becomes something that is second nature to them. Why do you do that? Because I want to honor my father and my mother. Not because they will present me at the gate and they will have me stoned. How should you love me? Let me count the ways, God says. Number five. Honor your father and your mother. Number six, you shall not murder. 
Now, we are not in Los Angeles County City Jail, so I do not see anyone who is a murderer. If you are, please do not introduce yourself to me. Do not murder. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, he said, you, sh you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder. Whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. Is this law still being practiced today? Yes. If you kill somebody, if you murder somebody, you will be arrested, you will be brought to court, you will be tried, and if you are found guilty, you will be sentenced. Some criminals do such a heinous crime, they are sentenced to capital punishment. Electric chair, firing squad, lethal injection, in Saudi Arabia, beheading. Right? But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court, and whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court, and whoever says you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery Are we guilty of murder? To be honest, have you been angry at somebody so angry that you said T-A-N-G-A in English tanga? Nispel ko na eh. In Greek, it says raka, you good for nothing. You're not good for anything else. In the eyes of God, did you commit murder? In the eyes of God, are you guilty of murder? Whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. Whoever says, you fool, what is that in Tagalog? Whatever shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Imagine. Why? That brother of yours, whom you are angry at, whom you are cursing, was also made in the image and likeness of God. Whether you like him or her, whether you do not like him or her, this person is created in the image and likeness of God. Now we call ourselves Christians. We call our, our, ourselves followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look how weighty it is in the eyes of God when it comes to interpersonal relationships. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We call ourselves Christians. But we are not willing to reconcile with people who have hurt us. We are angry with them. What is the Bible telling us? You have to check. Check yourself. You are not willing to forgive. You are willing to forgive. You are willing to ask God to forgive you for your sins. But you are not willing to forgive others. Maybe you have not understood the gospel. Maybe you have not appreciated that God forgave you of all of our sins. And that you in turn, God expects to forgive others. Do you get it? And John the Beloved is asking us to ask ourselves, does eternal life really abide in you? If it does, then you must be willing to forgive others. You should not continue to hate others. You should not call them you fool. You should not call them you good for nothing. Sometimes as parents, we discourage, we destroy the heart of our children when we call them names. You will not amount to anything. You're as stupid as the rock. 
Yet we call ourselves Christians. We call ourselves lovers of God. Have you committed murder? In this sense, I have committed murder. I have been angry at some people. I've called them names. Is that a mark of a good follower of Jesus Christ? I think not. Honor your father and mother. Don't commit murder. Don't hate people. Don't call them names because these people were also created in the image and likeness of God. In God's humor, maybe magkatabi kayo sa langit. You will be his next door neighbor in heaven. I don't know. I don't know. Honor your father and mother for this is the first commandment with the promise that you may live long in the land which your father is giving you to possess. Do not commit murder. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Oh, I have only one wife. I have never committed adultery in my life. I have never had carnal knowledge with any person other than my spouse. Good for you. Amen. That's the way it should be. See, when you came into relationship with God, it's like a marriage also. It's an exclusive relationship. God is my God and I am his child. He said in the Old Testament, I shall be your God and you shall be my people. Exclusive. Now, once another party comes in, it adulterates. It messes up that unique and exclusive relationship. So that's why when adultery is committed in the context of marriage, it's very painful because there is betrayal, because there is unfaithfulness. You said, I am the only person for you, with you, until death do us part. I'm, not, I'm sure that none of us here have committed adultery. In our thinking, in our justification, if our rationalization, no one. But look, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, don't raise your hands. You have not, perhaps you have not been guilty of the actual act of committing adultery. But in the explanation of Jesus Christ, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, if you look at another woman who is not your wife and lust after her, you have committed adultery with her. Where? Ayan na sumagot. You don't want to answer anymore. Where? In the heart. You know where the sin is born? It's born in the heart. That's why God wants us to, be, to obey Him from our heart, not from our mind. My laws and my decrees, I will write in their heart. I, yes, I am not guilty of that because I am single. Okay, if you look at a woman who is not your wife because, of you, because you are single and you have lusted after her, what sin are you guilty of? Huh? Fornication. Because you have committed a sexual act in your heart and in your mind with this person who is not your wife because you're single. Therefore, sex before marriage, outside marriage, is fornication. Guilty. No escape. Because it's an attitude of the heart. Oh, I have not committed adultery. But if I look at another woman who is not my wife and lust after her, I have committed adultery in my heart.
God wants our heart. You can be here going through the motions of attending worship services, but your heart may be far away from God. God wants your heart. God wants your heart. God wants our heart. And He's telling us these commands. So that we may live long. That's why in the book of James, He says, You unfaithful people, don't you know that love for this world is hatred towards God? Whoever wants to be a friend of this world is an enemy of God. See, when you give your heart to something or someone else, God looks at us idolatry and He looks at it as adultery. You have committed your life to your spouse. You have committed your life to your God. And anything and anyone that comes in between that is an adulterous relationship. Why? Why does God want us to love? Why does God command us to love Him? Why does God command us to love one another just as we love ourselves? Why? You remember this? What are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to make? We are supposed to make disciples. We are supposed to make committed followers of Jesus Christ. And that's why in John chapter 13, Jesus said, A new command I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. So, also love one another. Again, you see the pattern. God loving us, and we coming into personal relationship with God, therefore allowing us to express and share this love with the people around us. Love God first and love one another. Right? Now why? By this. What is this? This. By love. By loving God and loving one another. By this, all men will know. That what? You are my disciples if you have love for one another. You want to prove to this world that you are a follower of Jesus Christ? Love God and love other people as God loves you. Love God and love other people as you would love yourselves. Why? This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. How did Jesus Christ prove how much God loves us? Did he just say, I love you? He showed it. He demonstrated this for us. And Sarah reminded us this morning, we can only love because God loved us first. If God did not model, if God did not demonstrate, if God did not send His Son, Jesus Christ, to prove to us how much He loves us, how will we know about the love of God? We will not. God demonstrated it. He said, greater love has no one than this, that one down, laid down His life for His friends. And that's Jesus Christ. He laid down His life for us. You are my friends, Jesus Christ says. What? If you... Do what I command you. If you love me, you will obey my commands. It's all about love. God loving us and we loving other people. It's all about love. I obey God because I love God. And he says in 1 John 3.16, We know love by this. He laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. Me and God, me and the rest of the people coming through the cross of Jesus Christ. Why do we keep on sharing this with you? Why do we keep on encouraging you and challenging you to be committed followers of the Lord Jesus Christ? Ah, well, because you want more people to come to church so that we can have more tithes, so that we can buy a property. So No. For Christ, love compels us. 
Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. We want to share with you all of you about the love of God. That God loves the world so much that He doesn't want any one of us to spend the rest of eternity separated from Him. So what God has done is that He sent Jesus Christ as an expression of God's love and as, in, as an expression of God's holiness and an expression of God's justice, His mercy, and His grace which can only be found in the cross of Jesus Christ. He proved to us that He loves us so much that He is willing to give up His one and only Son to die in our place. For Christ's love compels us. We are convinced that one died for all. Jesus Christ died for all the sins of all mankind. And because He died, when He died for all, that those who live, you and I, who have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, that those who live, should what? Should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and was raised again. God wants us to come into fellowship, relationship with Him. Why? So that we could look like His Son, Jesus Christ. No longer live for ourselves, but to live for Christ, who died and rose again. What day was it yesterday? Valentine's. Valentine's Day. I found this on the internet. It spells Valentine. And when I looked at it, wow. I really didn't see that. Look at what it says. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Do you have a Valentine's? May I submit to you God the Father wants to be your Valentine. He is asking for your heart. He is not asking for your money. He is not asking for your mind. He is asking for your heart. The question is, will you be His Valentine? He has already given us the most precious gift. His Son, Jesus Christ. His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. And He's asking, will you respond? Will you respond to my offer of a love relationship between you and me? I already proved my love for you when I sent my Son, Jesus Christ. Are you willing to prove your love to me? By asking Him to come into your life as your personal Lord and Savior. My friends, God is no respecter of persons. He does not care about what you have done, where you have been. He is concerned about the here and the now. And He is inviting you to come into relationship with Him. Are you willing to trust God? To love Him as He has loved us. That decision no one can make except you. God has done everything humanly and supernaturally possible for you and I to be assured of eternity in heaven. Short of God removing what He has given to you in terms of free will. He has done everything. But your free will is yours. And you must decide. No one can make that decision for you. Because God 
is looking for your heart. Will you be his valentine? And accept him to be your God? And commit to no longer live for yourselves, but live for him who died for you and rose again? Let's pray. God, as we allow your Holy Spirit to move in this place and speak to our hearts, Lord, I pray that we give some quiet moments just right now for your Holy Spirit to speak to us. And Lord, if there is anyone here looking for you, searching, I pray, Lord, that you will speak to that person. In that you will touch that person's heart and just whisper that you love that person. And that you will be most happy if that person comes to relationship with you. If you're here today and you haven't trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Or if you're not sure, then please, wherever you are, talk to Jesus. Just tell him, Jesus, I've failed you. I am a sinner and I need you to save me. I realize that when you went to the cross, you carried the burden of all my sins. And I thank you for willingly going to that cross to die in my place, to give me a way to spend eternity with you, with God the Father, with God the Holy Spirit in a place called heaven. I thank you for what you've done on the cross. And by faith, I open the door of my heart. I invite you to come into my life to forgive me of my sins and be the Lord and Master of my entire being. God the Father, I want to thank you for loving me just as I am. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are now living in my life and that through your leading and empowerment, I will be able to be the kind of Christian the kind of follower of the Lord Jesus Christ that you want me to be. Friend, if you pray that prayer by the promises of Scripture, you have placed your faith in Christ. And the Bible says that if you have called upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. It's up for you now to tell somebody of that decision and to look for people who will help you to grow more and more like Christ. If on the other hand, you are here this morning and you're struggling with obedience, please be reminded that obedience is born out of your love for God. So perhaps it's a good time to ask, God, how much do I really love you? Because the measure of your love is measured by your obedience to God. Holy Spirit, you be the one to talk to us. We give you the freedom, Holy Spirit, to move in our midst and in our hearts. Meet us, Lord, at every need at every level. 
And we will be careful to give you back all the glory, the honor, and the praise. In the name of our Valentine, the Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen.